All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open up, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1? Can you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1? All right. Okie dokie. Now, if you uh, will go ahead and look at the screen over here, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our plan for the story over the course of the next few months. Uh, We are going to do 31 weeks here. That's a very, very long time. A very long time, right? 31 weeks, eight months, all right? So we have broken up this story series into six different mini-series. It's going to come up for you on the screen right now. We want to just tell you what we're going to be doing over the course of 31 weeks. First, we're going to be talking about the plan and the people, all right? That's the first thing that we're going to be talking about uh, in this story presentation. The second thing that we're going to be talking about is the land and the leaders. That's the second uh, uh mini-series that we'll be doing. The third mini-series that we're going to be doing is called The Kings and Corruption, because it sort of gets yucky for a while there, and we'll be talking about that. We're also going to go on then, and we're going to be talking about the sovereign God and scattered servants, and you know some of those stories about Esther, and, and you know some of those stories about Daniel and others. Then we're going to move on, and we're going to do something called The Light and the Life. You can only wonder who that's about, right? And then finally, we're going to talk about the church and the charge, all right? The church and the charge. That is going to be the, the pattern that we, we follow over the course of 31 weeks. We'll be breaking down those series into mini-series. We can have those available to you on DVD. Now, how do you get the most out of the story? That's a big question that I've been hearing from people. Number one, you can still sign up for a life group. We would love for you to sign up for a life group, to be a part of one, to engage in that. You can hop on our website today and sign up for a story life group. You'll ha- hear what I'm talking about reiterated, but there'll also be a deeper study, uh, more to it as we move forward through that study of the story. And then also we want to encourage you this week, families, our goal for you is to talk about the story. So if you've got kids or grandkids going through this, they have their little storybooks, go ahead and and talk about them. Go to the back of your storybook. There's wonderful questions, uh, five or six questions for each chapter that you'll be able to ask. Go ahead and ask those questions, all right? And, and, And talk Talk to your kids and talk to your grandkids about what the story means to them and what God has been teaching them through the story. We want you to get the most out of it. Now, if you're new today, you can still go to our Welcome Center. And in our Welcome Center, we have all of the resources that you could ever want having to do with the story. We'd love for you to get a copy. If you're new here today, we'll we'll get you a copy. We'll gift you a copy. We just want you to be able to take part in this story with us. All right? So if you have any questions, don't ask me, because I don't know. If you have any questions, you can stop by the Welcome Center, talk to one of our leaders this morning, uh, talk to one of our pastors. We would love to help you get the most out of this experience that you can. I want to tell you something this morning. There are seven words in the English language that I absolutely despise. Seven words that are said to me once in a while, and I bet you've had them said to you, and you probably hate them as much as I do, and these are the words, you need to be the bigger person. I do not like being told that. I don't want to be the bigger person. Being the bigger person means that somebody else has messed up your life, your relationship, your plan, your flow, and you have got to go back and make it right because they don't have maybe the capacity or the ability or the humility to make it right. They cannot or will not do it themselves. That's a pretty frustrating thing, having to be the bigger person, isn't it? 
Have you ever had to be the bigger person? It's yucky. Well, I want to begin telling you the story today of a person who has been the bigger person since the dawn of time. Someone who has had to go and restore relationship and work a plan because the people that he was in relationship with, with did not have the capacity, the ability, or the humility to do what they were supposed to be able to do. Now, we are going to just shut off that screen right now in order for you no longer to be distracted. And we will deal with that next week because we really want to be able to focus. And thank you guys for trying. Have no idea what happened. It was working not 30 minutes ago. But anyhow, uh, our goal eventually is to have a picture that represents each week on that screen. And we don't know what happens, but things happen. So we are going to be talking about the biggest person in history. That's the one that the story is all about. And that story is the story of God our Father. To tell you the story about the biggest person in history, I have to start in the beginning. Literally. I have to start within the beginning. And so do you. If you got your story Bibles, you can open them this morning to page one, sentence one. If you got your regular Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter one, verse one, and you will see something that you could probably quote with me if you wanted to, and it would be this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This was all God's big idea. God is the source of life, and it is his big idea. I love that, just to, to understand that God was behind all of this. You know, in the early part of the 20th century, scientists had a theory called static universe. The idea was that the universe is all there ever is, all there ever was, and all there was ever going to be. But scientists began in the early part of the 20th century to recognize that there was no static universe, that the universe had a beginning. They even went so far as to, as to come to the realization that at one moment, time, matter, energy, and space all came into existence. They called it the Big Bang. Thousands and thousands of years earlier, the Bible had called it the in the beginning. You see, God is the source of life. It's all his big idea. He was behind what scientists call the Big Bang. He was in the beginning speaking out his will to create this world. Now, people often ask me when we read Genesis, is Genesis history? Is it theology or is it science? And when people ask me that question, I say, mm-hmm, yes, it is. It really is all three in a way. It's history insofar as it gives us facts from the past. And we get story, this story about God and what he did and why he created from the beginning. It's science and that science seeks to seek the origin of things. Now, it's not scientific method like we would do scientific method, but it certainly does tell us a lot about the origin of things. But most importantly, it's theology. This part of Genesis is the study of God. And we learn a lot about this big God that we serve in the early part of Genesis. We, we learn that God is creative. We learn that God is ordered, that he has a plan. And we learn that, that God is one who is planned and he is ordered, but he's also created things that are good. He's created good things for each and every one of us. We see the order when it says, and there was evening and there was morning on the first day and second day and third day and fourth day. We see that it's good because at the end of each one of those days, God saw what he created and he saw that it was good. God did not create that which was bad. 
But to really understand this God, you have to know his thought processes, not just his attributes, but what he's thinking. Because there's two great questions that each one of our hearts tries to get to at some point, and the questions are these. One, what has creation been done for? Why are we here? Why has this world been created? Why has this universe been spun out? And secondly, we ask, why are things the way that they are? Well, we want to answer those questions, and those questions are right here in Genesis. Why God created and why things are the way that they are. The two greatest questions that human beings can ask about their existence are answered right here. For those of you who are in your Bibles, you can look down at Genesis 1.26, but those of you who are reading the story this morning, you can look at page two, the last paragraph. We're going to show you this morning the reason for creation. And the reason for creation is this. God created with people in mind. Then God said, verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. This is the sixth day of creation. Human beings are the final piece of God's created puzzle. And let us not bury the lead. God created you and me in his image. He didn't create the stars in his image. He didn't create the earth in his image. He didn't create the fishies and the cows in his image. But he created you in his image. He created me in his image. Human beings are the crown jewel of creation. We are the reason that God created this earth the way that he did. He created it that we would inhabit it. But he also, as I said, created us in his image, which means that we are somehow compatible. We are somehow companions. We are somehow conversationalists with the Lord God, the creator. We're the only ones in all creation that God spoke to. He spoke to humans here in chapter one. He reached out to us and told us what we were all about. We're the only ones in all creation, creation that he shares his rulership with. He says, take dominion over the birds of the, the air and the fish of the sea and the animals that crawl on the ground. You get to rule and reign with me. We also know that there was an intimacy to this relationship with God. We find out a little bit later on in Genesis chapter 3 that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. That these compatible, companion, conversationless human beings, ones who were somehow created to be like God in ways that God could interact with us, that God was close to them. They heard his footsteps and they recognized them. That means that wasn't the first time that God had gone tromping through the garden. God created human beings. He gave them a beautiful place called Eden to live in. He made things easy on them, gave them places that they could eat that they wouldn't have to work hard for. And he gave them some of his creative ability. He allows Adam to name all of the animals. And he has them tend and work the garden and, and be creative and have dominion with him. Pretty cool deal. Some of you are like, I'd like that. 
Well, you'll get there someday, just not yet. Because we're going to find that our vision as human beings didn't quite match God's vision for us as human beings. Our vision did not match God's vision. And we find in the early part of God's story that there is a different vision for life that we had. We had the opportunity to choose to be under God's care, to continue to live under his rule, to, to allow him to be our loving father and to give him mastery, if you will, of our destiny. But God recognized that to create us like him, we also would have to have a choice, a choice whether or not to share his vision, to allow him to remain as our father and to allow him to have rulership in our life. He placed two very important trees among the trees of the garden. One was called the tree of life, one that would allow Adam and Eve to live perpetually. But the other, the other tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that particular tree was the other side of the coin. You see, Adam and Eve lived in a creation that was good. They had seen the beauty and the attributes of God, his order, his creativity, his goodness, his willingness to share his authority. But we had to see if Adam and Eve would choose to do what God had placed them on this earth to do. He was not going to enslave them. And that tree of the knowledge of good and evil certainly showed them the goodness of God, but if they were to eat from it, if they were to partake of it, they would now see the other side of the coin. They would be able to see all that God is not. If God is good, they would be able to see the bad. If God is humble, they would see pride. If God is loving, they would see hate. And God knew that if human beings saw the other side of the coin, not being omniscient, not being omnipresent, not having all of his attributes, not being perfectly holy, they would choose to do what was on the other side of the coin. And we see that in chapter 3, verse 1, or for you in the story, the top of page 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Pastor Otto mentioned this serpent in the garden, the enemy, the evil one, who wanted to entice Adam and Eve to do what he and his fallen angels had already done, to rebel against God to move away from the creator and the sustainer of the universe, to take us with him. You say, why would God allow him to do that? Well, once again, God will not force us into relationship with him. He wouldn't force angels to serve him. He won't force you to serve him. He didn't force the enemy to serve him, and the enemy exploited God's goodness in giving us freedom. 
He creates doubts in the mind of even her husband. He raises suspicions. Did God really say, oh, God's not telling the truth? And then he tells them an outright lie. You eat from that tree, you'll be like God. What a lie. As if they could somehow become the creator and sustainer of the universe. As if they as created beings would somehow become omniscient or omnipresent. They weren't going to become God, but he appealed to their vanity. Don't let anybody tell you that human beings have rebelled against God out of curiosity. They just wanted to know what it tasted like. No. He said, and you will be like God. You will become master of your own destiny. You will become the leader. Don't you want that? And you know what they said? Mm Mm-hmm. Let's forget it that everything we know about God has been good thus far. Everything he's given us has been wonderful. We'd like to know what it was like if we ruled the world. And so they ate. And the immediate result was broken relationship with God. He wouldn't force them into relationship with him, and he stepped, they stepped right out of it. Their vision for life as they knew it was different than God's. And the results were immediate. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they hid from God. And you say, what, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's very simple. You don't talk to a lot of people in your birthday suit, I imagine. Right? And, and, and if you, theoretically, if the world was as it should be, you should only be in your birthday suit with the person that you're married to. So they weren't hiding from one another. They were hiding from God. Because all of a sudden, their guilt and their shame and God seeing them for what they truly were what wasn't something that they could handle anymore. They couldn't talk to God in this state. They had to cover themselves. They had to hide. You ever, you ever done something just so stinky, so mean-spirited, that you were so embarrassed you couldn't even look somebody in the eye after you'd done it? Say, no, not me. You're a liar. <laughs> yes, you have. You know you have. Maybe you were 8, maybe you were 16, maybe you were 60, but you said, did something, you acted in a way that you just couldn't even face somebody. That's what happened with Adam and Eve that day. And isn't that a horrible place to be? Because in that moment, you think to yourself, their relationship with me and that person will never be right again. That's what Adam and Eve believed in that moment. I can't tell you the rest of the story of Genesis chapter 1 through 11. You'll be studying it this week if you didn't study it last week. But, but human beings continually, from this point forward, choose to do the other side of the coin. Adam and Eve's own family was racked by fratricide. One brother killing another. By Genesis chapter 6, the, the long life of these, of these sinful humans brought us to the point where it says in chapter 6, verse 5, that the Lord saw how great the wickedness was of the human race and that every inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. You see, if you want to be master of your life, you're going to do things that aren't like God. You're going to move away from God continually, and you're going to continue to go to the other side of the coin time and time again, and that's what human beings have been cursed with since the fall. Not only that we know good and evil, but that we will run from God and do the exact opposite of his will and his way. We even see in the later part of this chapter of the story that God tries to start over with the most righteous dude he can find. He tries to start over with Noah. But Noah and his kids are sinners too. Not even the most righteous human can cover the sin and guilt and shame of rebellion. And certainly fig leaves couldn't. 
Now you say, Pastor Matt, that's the most depressing thing I've heard today. And we're going to close right here. So let's, no, I'm kidding. We won't. We will not close here. Because even in the midst of their sin, as Pastor Otto said, God begins to unfold his plan. You mean God wasn't caught off guard? You mean human sin and rebellion didn't surprise God? Well, if it had already happened among the angels, could it be possible that he knew that it could happen among human beings? Not only does he predict the future of the enemy's demise, but he does something unexpected in the last paragraph of page 6, or verse 21 of chapter 3. It says this, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Quick question, who made the first move? God moved in. He has got the crown jewel of his creation hiding in the brush with fig leaves on. And God, the bigger person, moves toward them. And the Hebrew is very, very clear. He made garments of skin for them. Hide. Which means that in that moment of human sin, God made a sacrifice of something he had declared good, of an animal that he had declared was good. He sacrificed in that moment to cover the guilt and shame of the crown jewel of his creation. You see, sin and shame are not without consequence. If they were, God wouldn't be all that holy. Fig leaves could not cover what human beings had done. So God took the life of something that was good to cover the shame of his children. You see, Adam and Eve didn't have the capacity. They didn't have the ability. They didn't have the humility to make things right with God. So God moved towards them and became the bigger person. Let me ask you another question. Sometimes when we think about Scripture, we think about all the sacrifices that the Israelite people had to make for God. Who made the first sacrifice in Scripture? Who made the last sacrifice in Scripture? You see, God is unfolding his plan even in the garden. Yes, human beings would later sacrifice to God to remind themselves that they are sinners and they do need something to cover their guilt and shame. But the first sacrifice ever made was made by God. And the last sacrifice ever made was made by God. He prefigured his plan right here in the garden. God unfolds his plan, and the rest of the story is God's relentless pursuit of us. The rest of the story is God's making a way for us to return to that intimacy and that purity and the rightness of our relationship with him. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
before God even created, he asked his son, would you be willing to be the bigger person for us? Would you be willing to cover their sin and guilt and shame forever? That's where the story of Adam and Eve interacts with our story this morning. We often think that we have to sacrifice to be in relationship with God. Some of you sitting here right now, whether you're a Christian or a not yet Christian, you are sitting here thinking, well, if I want to be the Christian that I need to be, I need to sacrifice something for God. I got to give up my life and what I'm, I've got to get, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. And you must remember that, yes, when you come into relationship with God, there will be things that you sacrifice on your life's altar to him. But he made the first sacrifice for you. And we celebrated 20 minutes ago that he made the last sacrifice for you too. God moves towards us far more than we move toward him. And I don't know where each one of you stand with God today. I don't know where you are in your relationship with him. I don't know if you feel close or estranged. Maybe you're hiding in the brush with fig leaves on feeling like you don't belong to him anymore. Your sin, your shame, your depravity, your fall has been too great for him to still love you. I want to tell you this story is a story of him coming after us, reminding us time and time again that he loves us, that he has a plan, and that he wants to bring us back into relationship with him. He wants to do that for you, even today. It's part of his nature. It's part of his goodness. You may have to sacrifice something for God someday, but you can't ever do that until you allow him to sacrifice on your behalf. Let's pray. God, you are a good and a great God. You have loved us with an everlasting, eternal love. You have made a way for each one of us, God, to come into relationship with you. And even in those moments where we have gone to the other side of the coin, when we have had a different vision for our life than you have, you come after us. You pursue us. God, that crafty enemy, he still works the same way. He wants us to doubt God. He wants us to forget God's goodness and he wants us to go you know what I'll just do things my own way <laughs> but the Bible also says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and you can bring to our mind and our remembrance today that you are good that you have better for us and <laughs> that you've always been the bigger person. You've always sought us out. And you've tried to make us new. God, I pray today if there's anybody who has a roadblock between you and them, I pray that by your spirit, even now, you would remove that they would see you for who you are.
a good God who loves them, and who even in your darkest hour will clothe them with his righteousness. Perhaps you're in this place today, and this is the day you've realized exactly what you've been hearing for weeks and months, that this relationship with God is not about you and your ability, your capacity, your humility to make things right between you and God, but God is always the one making things right between him and us. And you would say, God, I see you for the first time the way I need to see you as the bigger person who wants to make things right with me, who wants to come into my life and cover my sin and my shame. If that's you today, and you would like to come into that pure relationship with God for the very first time, as just a signal of your obedience and your desire to come back under God's loving care, would you just raise a hand to him today in this place? Just raise that hand. Just raise that hand. That's between you and God. You're just saying, God, I'm coming into your loving care today. Who else today? Who else today? You can raise that hand and put it down. Who else today? I've been hiding in the brush, but I'm ready. I'm ready to be made whole. For those of you who raised your hand in this place today, I'm going to pray with you, and everybody in this room is going to pray right alongside you, and we're just going to make that commitment to the God in prayer. It's not a magical prayer, but we do serve an all-powerful God, and he will honor your prayer today, and he will bring you back into relationship with him. Let's pray. Would you repeat after me? Lord Jesus, I recognize today that you have sacrificed on my behalf to bring me into relationship with you. I recognize that I've moved away from God, that I've done things my own way, that I've sinned and rebelled, and I'm sorry. Bring me back into relationship with you. Make me whole. Clean me up. God, I thank you that even today you've pursued me, and now I will pursue you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning or first time in a long time, our elders will be here at the front towards the end of our service. They would love to talk with you, pray with you, put materials in your hands so you know what to do next in your relationship with God. There have been people who have moved in towards the God who loves them today. There's no better reason to be in church, is there? No better reason to come to this place than to see people make a decision to serve the God who has relentlessly pursued them. 
Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to sing a song of benediction. And we received a word this morning, and I just want to share the content of it with you as our band comes, and it's this. You have a God who has sacrificed on your behalf, a God who has come into this world to make things right between he and you. He is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your honor. He is worthy of our celebration of him and all the praise that we can heap upon him for his goodness to us is a worthy, worthy endeavor. Let's sing ourselves out of this service today, praising and honoring the Lord for his goodness.